The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good takes. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> here we've got two cats this is the homance chronicles i'm sarah and i'm nicole we fucking did it i did it yep two cats and a dog i got a dog over here (laughs) that's right (laughs) well we are fast approaching the christmas vacation christmas holiday Mm -hmm. and i've got a couple atta girls that i'm super proud of i'm not gonna give it away right now but how are you doing? Are you ready? Are you prepared for the mayhem? Uh, I don't have mayhem. Oh, yeah, that's true. My niece and nephew live out of state, so I send their gifts to their home. And then my family that's here that gets together is fairly small, and we just pull one person out of a hat. So I only buy for one person here. Man. I think I think mine's only mayhem because we have so many people coming in and out that we don't know each year. Because, like, this year my sister will be here, which is exciting. Mm, yeah. I think, I think my cousin will be in town, too. My other cousin moved away, and I and I know he'll be around. So it's, like, I'm kind of stoked. But it's it's chaos whenever we all get together. So mm. in the best way possible, right? <laughs> yeah, my situation's pretty tame, especially Not- since we don't even really do like a huge dinner. It's like, I don't know, kind of standard stuff or even sometimes we have salmon. So it takes like all of, you know, 15 minutes. (laughs) Sometimes we have salmon. (laughs) We don't even roast anything. I've never Um, heard of Christmas salmon before. That's fucking hilarious. You know, my family is all about ease and convenience, not tradition. <laughs> no, I'm 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 there with it. It's just <laughs> that's fucking awesome. <laughs> that's like the one year my mom tried to skip out on a ham and make or she she tried to stop making mashed potatoes and she didn't want to make ham. She was like, We'll just eat lasagna. And I was like, the fuck we will. I don't love lasagna like I love ham and taters. Really, it's just the potatoes. I could care less about the ham. But if we have potatoes and we have to have the ham, it was a whole thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I can understand you wouldn't want to put your potatoes next to your lasagna, like carbs no, on carbs. No, <laughs> no, just the puffiest person on the planet after that meal. Fuck. <laughs> gluten-free even with the gluten-free. It's still, you get puffy. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of dairy. I um went to a holiday party over yeah. the weekend And typically this party, because I've gone to it now three times, I think, has gluten-free options. So technically they did, but it was basically charcuterie. It was (laughs) gluten-free options. The rest of the like bigger portion or like hot pieces were. Glutinous. Were, yes, were like meatballs, things in puff pastry or phyllo dough or whatever. So I left there starving. Yeah. And I came home and made a gluten-free frozen pizza, but it had like regular cheese on it, not vegan cheese. And I was so hungry that I ate like three quarters of this pizza, which is too much dairy. Yeah. (laughs) It hurt you, didn't it? Even with my lactase pills, like the next day, I felt like 
um, <laughs> the blueberry chick from Willy Wonka, just like <laughs> state puff man walking around. <laughs> Got to put my belt on. <laughs> I just was like, oh my god, I feel so bloated. It's terrible. Yeah. It's wild. Push me around. Really, honestly, wild to think we used to operate like that regularly without knowing how fucking full and shitty we felt. Like, how do we do it? Well, um, our bodies finally broke, so that's how. <laughs> Because I would unbutton my pants. <laughs> or I would just wear pants that weren't tight ever. <laughs> I, when I realized it started becoming a problem when I'm at work and then post lunch, which is not like a huge meal, I have to unbutton my pants because yeah. I didn't realize what bloating felt like. Yeah. Because I was remember? still pretty young. I mean, we, we ate our sandwiches and our chips and be like, wow, we're full. We're going to button our pants after that one sandwich and chips. <laughs> no, bitch, you're allergic to everything you just ate. You're having a total inflammation <laughs> meltdown inside. Yeah. I remember at one point I thought I was doing myself a favor by making sure I ate a sandwich instead of lettuce and salads because I thought salads were making me sick. They were, but not as sick as a fucking loaf of bread was making me. <laughs> it was destroying me. I know. Well, I would start my day out with Greek <coughs> yogurt and fruit and yeah, granola. Yes, like exactly. I, I literally would just wake up and choose violence for my <laughs> internal organs without knowing it. She's up, incoming. Oh, God, it's yogurt again. What the fuck? <laughs> the irony is that I was probably at my smallest, like my lightest. you shitting everything out. My lightest weight. No, I, I didn't have a shitting problem, but that was I me. never You're felt right. like I was thin because I was always busting out of my pants. <laughs> So theoretically, the diet worked, but at the same time, it didn't agree with you. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. I was like, wow, look at me at 130 pounds or whatever it was. Like, look how <laughs> tiny I am on the scale, but <laughs> My I can't go the whole good. day in one pair of pants. <laughs> it's so weird. Maybe that's why the like stretchy pant era really got its starts because we were all making ourselves sick. <laughs> because like now I'll eat you know whatever I eat for lunch now and I don't nearly feel the need to like undo my pants where no I used to that is not typical <laughs> <laughs> so maybe people are just like I'm tired of having to unbutton these bad lads I'm putting on stretchies not realizing it's the food but even with stretchies like it's still they 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 were really bad they back fold in the into your stomach folds right because they didn't have the wide waistbands you know those tall bitches they had those little skinny boys that like remember the you know mm -hmm. elastics that you would have and yeah so even with like stretchy pants or leggings or whatever like your <laughs> bloated belly would still like suck them into the creases <laughs> and then you just come home with an indent in your stomach like what the <laughs> fuck but yeah i swear i'd start out the day a size six and i'd end it a size 10 like For it real. was <laughs> I was like, how is it possible I fit into these size four pants and then I can't even get out of them? They're stuck to me. I was like, <laughs> at one point I was like, I have to cut these off. What the fuck's happening? Oh, well, man. Well, after that trip down memory lane. 
Yeah, but now, <laughs> 10 years later, I know the difference between bloat and fat, and I'm just more fat than bloated. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're not fat. You're not. <laughs> Well, I'm thing. saying, I mean, we all have areas, right? My stomach is like the one area of my entire life that has been a problem Coffee. area. And so, you know, you, you're when you're chunkier than usual. Oh, yeah, I do. So yeah. that's my booty. She gets big fast. <laughs> She's real droopy recently. Jim needs to start working better for me. <laughs> Figure it out, Jim. I need you to be better. Oh, man. Well, are we ready? I yeah, I was going to say none of that conversation was expected, but great. (laughs) We're here, though. We're here to talk about women of history. We're here. We got it. That was our history. (laughs) This is (laughs) this is a lighthearted podcast about badass bitches. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) and us. We're talking about others, too. Also, can you see both of these cats in my lap right now? Or Sure cannot. Okay. Well, one is just looking up at me like I am the creator. I love it. <laughs> He's so cute. Okay. So, <coughs> we are going to talk about Minerva Parker Nichols today. Okay. I, I didn't do this for air quotes. I was just stimming as I was speaking. So, she was born in May of 1862 in Illinois. And... So her claim, oh my gosh, she just laid on top of her and she let him. This is so cute. Cats in my lap. Okay, so she was the first female architect in the U.S. to operate an independent solo practice. Like, she is known for that. She had no male helping her out when she was going through it. And um, at this stage, we ha- there are at least 80 buildings that can be attributed to her today that are still standing. So that's pretty neat, if you ask me. Yeah. And I couldn't recall if I thought her name was familiar because it was on our list or because I actually know it. No, it's on because it's on our list. I feel like I might have typed that one out at one point. You did. You 100 <laughs> percent did. OK, I was, so I was in all fairness, I was looking for like a Christmas themed woman and I just did not have the time to really put into who I found. So I'm hoping that um the, you know, next episode i've got i can really put it to her because she because there are a couple of them really cool and it's like you know christmas history but we're going to talk about minerva today (laughs) (laughs) i digress (laughs) here we are okay so she was born in glassford illinois well chicago like some say some some say the other so there actually was not a lot about minerva and her upbringing um, I had to go to several sites to find a lot of, like, just regular information about her. And so, if, um, you know, I leave something out, it's not my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, she was um, born to Amanda and John Parker. She can actually be traced back to John Doan, who was, like, one of the original settlers in Plymouth in 1630. Her, her grandfather, Seth A. Doan, which is D-O-A-N-E. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I'm just saying it. Mm-hmm. Her grandfather, Seth Doan, was an architect, and he actually went to Chicago when it was just an outpost and trading settlement with the Native Americans. So, like, her family was over there, like, right off the rip. 
which is kind of cool. Uh, let's see. So 1863, she is just born. Her dad was part of the Illinois Volunteer Regiment, and he actually ended up dying during the Civil War when he was in Tennessee. So he went to go volunteer, and instead he passed away. Oh, my gosh. Shot. Oh. <laughs> it just made me remember something I, I saw on the internet. <laughs> I don't remember. It was probably on Instagram or some group on Facebook or something. But it was this guy saying, like, he wishes that it was like how it used to be with women just like cooking, cleaning, taking care of the house or whatever. And that it was like those types of days again. Mm-hmm. And then this woman responded with, I wish it was like when men would go off to war and die. <laughs> A fitting response. I fully support it. Indentured slave, you fucking asshole. <laughs> God, what's wrong with men? <laughs> Not all of them, just the ones that say stupid shit. Like, go see a therapist. Anyway, the ones that say stupid shit though are very loud about it. <laughs> yeah, because they just don't know better yet. <sighs> um, yeah, Minerva was only fourteen months old. This, her mom was a widow immediately, obviously, and so she actually did have a little sister. They continued to grow up in the family farm with mom, auntie, and grandfather, Seth. So this was all the mom's side, too. Um, In 1867, mom decided to move the family to Philadelphia and opened a boarding house for medical students after after the grandma passed away, a.k.a. mom's mom. Um, She ended up staying at the Philly or studying at the Philly Normal Art School, and she settled, settled, studied modeling under john j boyle who was actually really well known still is today for the bronze standards of native americans he erected during his time as an artist she also decided to follow her grand- grandfather's path um, in design and architecture between 1871 and 1875 mom moved them to chicago again and sadly their home burned down in the great chicago fire super sad mm. um shortly after that mom ended up falling ill and it turns out her neighbor was a doctor named sam maxwell well her and sam fell right in love right there and so um they ended up getting married between 1875 and 1876 in that time the two girls the the sisters minerva and her sister did not get along with him and so mom sent them to boarding school in Dubuque, Iowa for a full year so that mom and new stepdad could settle in and get to know each other. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> is it Dubuque, Iowa? Yep. Okay. Um, that is the middle of the nowhere cornfield, yeah. like completely opposite of Chicago, Chicago. life. Mm-hmm. So that's jarring right um and then it sounds like whatever mom was ill with she got over or it got fucked out of her or whatever yep (laughs) he fucked her he fucked her so silly 
<laughs> made her own sick. She was like, you're a miracle worker. Marry me. Um, this is not factual historical events retelling. <laughs> please, please don't. I'm making this up. <laughs> she, she did. She got better by a love potion. Yeah. <laughs> and then sent her girls away. Fuck. She was digmatized for sure, though. Digmatized 100%. How do you, as a widow, send your only two daughters away? Like, ugh. Further away. Like, you, you would want them to get to know him better and so they would get along. No, that's not how that worked. They came back um, around 77, 76. Uh, but in 76, mom and new stepdad, they ended up moving back over to Philly and they were drawn there by the Centennial Exhibition held in the city. So Centennial Exhibitions, for people who don't know, they're really huge events. And they were so big that they actually created jobs in the city when they were you know, setting up to put them on or whatever. And sometimes it took six months to a year to prepare. Uh, so they moved over there. And in, unfortunately, in 1877, the doctor passed away after ODing on laudanum, whatever that is, L-A-U-D-A-N-U-M, OD'd. I never, I never looked it up. I forgot. Hmm. Okay. And which was, uh, to use the phrase, jarring, because at the same time, her little sister was pregnant with um her new baby that she ended up naming sam i'm so, assuming it's after the stepdad laudanum is an alcoholic solution that contains morphine oh. um oh well no wonder <laughs> it's prepared from opium and was formerly used as a narcotic painkiller yeah no wonder she fell in love she was who done it <laughs> <laughs> probably shot her up and her eyes dilated and she's like you're the one i'm such a damn doc yeah no kidding so he bailed uh and then three years later the mom ended up taking in more boarding people while minerva worked as a governess and housekeeper in the suburbs of chetlaham chetlandham chetlandham yeah whatever this is like 1880 so she's like how old at this point 20s roughly she was born in 62 yeah so she'd be 18 18 20 yeah she in 1885 minerva and the family moved back to the original street they lived on with the stepdad so they had like once the doctor passed away they moved to the other side of philly and that's when mom had enough room to take on borders so in 85, when they decided that was, they were done doing that, they went back to the original street that they lived on with the stepdad and they were literally there for like, um, or I'm sorry, they were literally next door to the old house that they had lived in. So their address was 1612 when they were there the first time, the second time it was 1613. And she ended up staying there with mom till 1893, although she actually did get married in 1891 um they don't say a lot about who she was married to at this point she ended up finishing up her studies and she went to philly to join the architectural firm of frederick g thorne 
he ended up passing away in 1888 and that's when she took over for about seven years so i think this is the first time um like a woman it's not the first time a woman has run an architectural firm in the u.s so that's not what she's well known for there was another lady who had done it prior to that um she's known for going off on her own and literally having her own private practice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so after about seven years of doing that her and her husband left in 1896 in 1889 wait yes no yes yep <laughs> so after about seven years, her and her hubs left Philly. But in 1889, she opened her own practice and office. I was getting there anyway. Um, and it was actually just across the street from City Hall. She maintained her office there until 93, then operated out of her Philly practice until 96. So she was kind of all over the map a little bit with, like, her locations and everything. She definitely went a lot, um, like, traveled around a lot in Philly City proper. <laughs> um she ended up from 1891 to 95 teaching courses for the philadelphia school of design for women so she actually did like end up teaching <clears throat> at the school too and then in december i don't know what happened to her first husband nobody says anything about it um because she ended up getting married uh, to another man called reverend william Icabo nichols at the spring garden utilitarian society where they oh wow reverend married a divorced woman maybe she was a widow well it was a utilitarian society so i don't know maybe but he was the minister and minerva was a member of sunday school one of her projects postponed their actual honeymoon so like she was just on the go all the time um i miss though when she got educated in architecture in the first place yeah she went to um it was like she started in uh 1867 when she was at the philly normal art school and studied modeling so it was that time she decided to go down the path of design and architecture gotcha she moved to chicago you know she just continued to do this she never was formally certified in anything because i don't Mm. know that was necessarily the case for architecture back in the day i don't believe there were any like schools or degrees or anything that she could like oh yeah that's probably a good point you know i don't think there was a lot of programs that were like we bestow upon you the fact that you know what you're doing a piece of paper i I know but you think about it it's like a little crazy because especially if those buildings are still standing today it's like well how did she know that this was going to be able to handle like this load yeah well actually there are a lot of people who worked with and for her and i'll okay. I have a little quote from somebody back later on down here so can you move um, your mic closer to your mouth i sure can thank you so in 1892 she ended up unfortunately having a miscarriage she was carrying twins and they were visiting the family in cambridge massachusetts in july um, there's a lot of travel between Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Philly from this point with Reverend as her husband. Um, in 1893, she ended up moving back to the same block that she lived on with her mom and Sam back in the day um, so she could be close to mom. 
and she established a home office instead of going back to an official office because she said she got more work done. She was working from home before working from home was a thing. Because I swear, it's true, though. Yes. It is. I, I mean, you just, you get that focus time, that deep focus time. Yes. Uh, at the office, you just have constant interruptions. Mm-hmm. I can't help that I'm popular and people like me. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Connie for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that she moved back to Philly. She established a home office. Her first surviving daughter was born in 1894, and her name is Adelaide. In 1896, her husband took a job with the Brooklyn Bureau of Charities and moved the whole damn family to Brooklyn. At this stage, she was no longer advertising a formal business. She rather continued to take commissions for family, friends, and relatives, and also social causes. So if somebody was, Mm -hmm. you know, curious about creating something for the greater good, she was all in. Of course. She then had another daughter in 1897, and then her son John was born in 1899. Finally, her youngest was born in 1905. Oh, that's quite the gap. Several children. Yeah, it is quite the gap. (laughs) yeah was she up to five yeah roughly you've lost track john another one (laughs) she's got four well i wasn't sure if it was four or five i think she she know because her miscarriages don't necessarily count as a whole child in my in my math but it's five brushes with another life i guess Mm mm-hmm okay um so apparently she was doing fairly well and so was the rev and in 1907, the family purchased, purchased a summer home in Connecticut. They went there frequently. Um, the house was actually built in 1753. Like, that shit blows my mind. I imagine thatching roofs, like, there's no real modern technology holding this thing together. It's just miracles and nature at this point. <laughs> well, they had steel and concrete. No, see, in my world, that's not true. <laughs> I know it's true for real ass, like realistically, but in Sarah's world, nah, they're like the last Alaskans chopping down trees and fucking <laughs> <laughs> making sure they fit. Yeah, <laughs> she actually ended up doing a lot of alterations and improvements on that house as they were, you know, hanging out here and there. Yeah, um, and I shouldn't make it sound like that. I know that those things existed because I really don't. I just feel like that they would have. Well, now I'm curious to know back like, check what, me. <laughs> what building materials were available for people to build a home in 1780 or 1753. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was just sticks and I was right. Right. Um, okay, her husband uh, ended up resigning at that stage and so the family moved into the house full time in Connecticut um then her husband was installed as a minister at the first congregational or utilitarian parish of Deerfield Massachusetts uh for 3 years then in 16 1916 or 17 he moved the family to Cambridge sadly enough he passed away in 1917 
Mm-hmm. So like her mother, she was a widow. I don't know if it's the first or second time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she did have four grown children. Um, so a lot of this stuff that I found about her was created off of census data, which I find to be incredibly fascinating. So in 1920, according to the census data, she ended up moving back in with her mom with three of her grown children. Her eldest, Adelaide, did not live with them. They lived at a property that her husband bought, and then sadly, her mom passed away in 1921. Uh, Let's see. Throughout the 1920s, she moved back to Wilton, Connecticut for a bit. Then she moved to Westport, Connecticut, where she designed a house um, and lived in it with her daughter and son-in-law, John Baker, so her daughter Adelaide. She ended up designing a second home right next door, and that's where she ended up living until she passed away. So she ended up passing away in 1949. They didn't really say, like, of what, unfortunately. Maybe Hmm. natural causes. But there are... um, several homes like style homes that she designed that are still up in suburbs today and you know bigger city um establishments as well so when when she was working to um deliver you know a commission or whatever (laughs) there was a contractor who stated and I'm just going to read verbatim. A contractor once remarked that he had never worked for an architect who better understood the business. At just 29 years old, the up-and-comer was taking home $6,000 a year, the equivalent of about two hundred and fifteen dollars today. So she was well-versed in what she was doing. And it seems that she was very successful due to her ability to communicate and having having knowledge of what it took to to you know build design and build a home which i think is pretty neat yeah and that the reverend didn't force her to quit her job right well i mean she was still popping out babies she could work from home remember no i know that i feel like that's a very modern approach Mm -hmm. that some people still have an issue with today agreed (laughs) You know, I forget the story takes place before the Roaring Twenties when all that shit was super frowned upon. So it looks like a couple of places that she is is known for is the New Century Club, which is in Philadelphia, the New Century Club in Wilmington, Delaware, and then the Buckingham Brown and Nichols School in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um... There's another home called Mill Ray in Philadelphia she is responsible for. And sadly, that was that was pretty much all I could find on her. Like, there wasn't a lot of dirt on who she was as a person, if she was tenacious, which she clearly had to be. But in terms of, like, getting up close and personal about her, there isn't a lot of information on her strictly because she was kind of like the forgotten architect, unfortunately. Hmm. 
Um, so she did a lot of work for the suffragette movement and the Mill Ray home was designed for suffragist Rachel Foster Avery, who was a close friend of Susan B. Anthony's. And currently the site is protected by the National Park Service, which is neat. So it's one of the more notable homes. Go ahead. I was trying to figure out when concrete and steel went from Spain. <laughs> it's, it's taking me on a journey over here. Um, because they're like steel artifacts, like for weapons and stuff, go all the way back to 800, 1800 BC. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was right. Sticks. I, <laughs> I feel like, yes, yeah, steel and concrete were around. They may not have been used for building materials in the U.S. yet. Mm -hmm. Um, it was. I think it was more brick and timber. I'm going with stone and mortar, personally, because a lot of the homes that you see that she was involved in have that brick and stone facade. Okay, but yes. So, so she, I mean, I'm not wrong, technically. No. It's been around since before Christ. Correct. <laughs> Maybe just not utilized that way. Maybe not. Maybe not. In the U.S. <laughs> I feel like you have to start really narrowing down your search to get accurate information. But there's a lot of uh, talk about Masons around that time. Yeah. So she designed the international clubhouse known as is the queen isabella pavilion at the world's columbian exposition in, in chicago so that's primarily why they went she was also among the first women to enter the field of architecture second to that and um yeah let's see i think that unfortunately sums up our story today minerva i know yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad that she doesn't get the same recognition as a lot of men. No, she gets, like, almost none. And, like, the 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 fact that she created stuff that, like, helped... She created buildings that helped society movements. Like, it wasn't just creating a building to create. It was housing something more important than mm -hmm. the building itself. And I think that's why she was so successful and maybe even so passionate. Aw, Minerva still had a good heart, even though she got shipped away and didn't have a daddy. <laughs> well, she did, but he was full she of She didn't grow up with her dad because he passed. No, she did not. So sad. So, so that is. Oh, also, I should say through the 1800s, um, 1880s, she studied architectural drafting and became an apprentice for Edwin W. Thorne was an architect in downtown philadelphia we already said that but that's where she kind of got her legs for architecture like how she ended up becoming so well versed in it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i am oftentimes amazed at how people were able to calculate the architecture back then obviously the homes and buildings were not as intricate. I mean, some of them are beautifully designed and have a lot of artwork and 
all that. But if you're just talking about like regular residential homes, not a lot of them do. But now you think about what tools architects use to draw up like plans for you to remodel your kitchen, right? Right. And <laughs> they still can fuck it up. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, oh, there's a three inch gap here. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> what am I going to put in there? Just food's going to get lost in that gap. <laughs> <laughs> they had no tools other than measuring sticks. And sticks and mortar. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I mean, the amount of math that she had to do. Uh, yeah, a lot. Oh, actually, I found some more stuff. So she was frequently um, published in trade catalogs and they were national publications. So that earned her like notoriety. Mm -hmm. um, she was still well respected enough at her death in 1949 to warrant a headlined obituary in the New York Times. That gave me the chills. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, she had uh, various technical programs for her education. And she was consistently garnering praise for her practical experience. And in the estimation of one publication, her energy and push. And then it looks like when she moved to Brooklyn with her hubs is when she retired from the formal practice, but still continued to work for friends mm -hmm. and family. Mm -hmm. Seems, well, thank you. Uh, yes. So uh, Minerva Parker Nichols seems to have earned an usually wholehearted endorsement from her compatriots. So she was she was just like really apparently good at what she was doing because there's nothing. I have not seen one thing about her that's been bad or like somebody. There's no drama. There's no fucking tea to spill except for her mother marrying that drug addict. <laughs> A doctor who was prescribing himself <laughs> loaded alcohol. Oh, oh, man. So, so bad. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story about Minerva. Yeah, of course. She was just like a great lady. And what a unique name. Right? She was really, um, like I said earlier... She was all about creating women's clubs. I love this. She's several of them. She wanted to pay it forward in so many ways, and we thank her. Yes. Okay, so thank you to MinervaParkerNichols.com, Wikipedia, and Smithsonian Mag for all of the information shared out today. Thank you for another great story. Oh, yeah. For show. For show. So. so it's at a girl time. Mm -hmm. At a girls are where we pat ourselves in the back for something uh, good that we've done or something good that's happened to us. And I have to think of one. So if you have one available and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Um, <laughs> so I am the last minute queen. And I sat down the other day and said, you know what? I'm just going to do this now. And I ordered some Christmas gifts and they're going to be here on time. And I'm super stoked about that because usually mine are not. I'm never on time. So I'm proud of myself because I 
pulled the trigger, bit the bullet, whatever you want to call it. Got everybody's gifts ordered. I should be all here if the universe loves me enough on time. Yeah, really, what's today? To really wrap this up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> today is the 11th. I think you've got time. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Well, I'm proud of you because, yeah, you are typically late. Thanks. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm fully aware. At least I know. You know, at least I can call myself out on it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, Let's see. An add a girl for me. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing to pursue house hunting when there's nothing. In, uh, in inventory nothing <laughs> nothing i haven't thrown in the towel yet that's oh, so funny it's not an ideal time to house hunt um no and it's very hard to find something even livable under 300,000 here in the metro detroit area which is kind of crazy yep um because when you think about Michigan as being like an affordable place to live, it was. I I question the. It was. Logic. It's it's affordable now if you go to Detroit or a neighboring city, maybe even sections of Detroit. I'm just like, what? <laughs> no, yeah, no, even Detroit. What? Becoming, I feel like the whole state's getting gentrified. I don't know what just happened, but like. Remember when we could go to the lake and be like, oh, look, a cottage is for sale. And then you'd look it up and be like, oh, it's only $250. That's not terrible. Now it's $2.5 million for a little fucking 500 square foot cottage on lake. It's ignorant. It upsets me. There's a lot that uh, is shocking to me. <laughs> I was I was only just house hunting six years ago. <laughs> right. And um, yeah wild wild things out there yep, so i think that um my atta girl is just like trying like staying true to my intuition <laughs> you know yes. not not being like well this is the best of the worst <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not looking for the being best like best no best. we're gonna we're gonna hold out and wait for like when you get the right feeling yeah i think i think the one you got you got going now might be it. I don't know. That's just me personally. Or it's just me being really ignorantly excited about the fact that you'd be only eight minutes away from me. Oh my gosh. It's faster. You'd be closer than when we lived in Hazel Park and Royal Oak together at the same time. <laughs> now well, I'm my Midwest fly. Give me a key. I'm going to let myself in. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also uh, taking the approach that if, if, things are not working out or if um, I'm submitting offers and they're not going through or whatever, it's just like, okay, universe has a better plan. They have something different for me. And it has been a pretty stress-free house hunting endeavor. I'm also not on a deadline and I'm the only one who's making this happen for not, I mean... Not because I have to be out. Not I, I own my current house. Like there's right. no, <laughs> I there's just no think that from an investment standpoint, it's a good move at this uh, 
at the stage of where my current house is at. I agree with that. So, yeah, I guess just keeping a level head like, well, if it works out, great. Just, I'm really stoked about this potential that you're going to be so close to me. (laughs) You know, that's really where I'm at right now. Well, I had a girl. I had a girl trying to force shit. No. Mm -mm. No, we're not doing that. We don't force (laughs) shit. No, it's... (laughs) it's interesting because I even have these conversations with my realtor where he'll be like, okay, I can get you that like later tonight. But after I pick up the kids and I do this and I do that and I'm like, I don't need it tonight though. (laughs) You know, um, we're good. I'm, I'm okay. And, uh, we've had that discussion about, um, the showings and getting them scheduled stuff too. I'm just like, look, you know, I'm not here for making anything more complicated or stressful. Like if it's going to totally jack up your day, this is not an immersion. Right. Exactly. I like being that person. I love being that person. It makes me so happy to be that person. Like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not hurting for any of this right now. You can calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess that's that, huh? Uh-huh. So if you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe. It really helps us with the algorithm, the algorithm. <laughs> we talked about that last week, right? The algorithm. Oh, yeah, we sure did. <laughs> um, You can follow us on Instagram at homance underscore chronicles. You can DM us with a hoe of history you'd like to request. You can email us at homancepodcast at gmail.com. You can find your homance merch on my Etsy shop, nicolebonneville.etsy.com. And you can join the Facebook closed group, the Homance Chronicles, a judgment-free zone that has nothing to do with women of history. Um, I think that's all the things. <laughs> all right. Well, fucking, we're out. Homance out. Oh.